Welcome to episode 20 of You Are Not A Frog, a creative solution to stress. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high stress jobs. Working in today's high stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boiled alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. Welcome to episode 20. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. I first met Ruth through a mutual friend in Cambridge and we were talking about creative writing because Ruth has just done a course learning to teach creative writing and she started to use it in a therapeutic manner to help people with stress and well-being. I thought it'd be really interesting for us to hear about how that works and also pick her brains about some of the therapies that she does. Here we are. So it's really great to have with me on the podcast, Ruth Cox-Sedge. Now, Ruth is a practitioner psychologist. She started her career as a mental health nurse, and she now practices in Cambridge, really sort of general psychology, but she has a particular interest in EMDR, which is a recommended treatment for PTSD, and also works with a lot of professionals experiencing stress in their work and in their lives. And I thought it'd be really great for us just to hear from her some top tips really to keep ourselves mentally fit and well and and things that we can do for ourselves but also the sort of help that we can access it if we need to so Ruth welcome to the podcast thank you (laughs) really really great to have you here so first of all Ruth what sorts of things do you typically deal with in your practice well it's mainly the general stuff that GPs see so people with anxiety various anxiety disorders and depression Occasionally, I see people with eating disorders as well. And we were talking about EMDR just then, you know, people with trauma in their childhoods or in their recent lives. Mm-hmm. Often there's a kind of pattern of trauma over time, and people with, you know, childhood difficulties. I mean, we all have a particular childhood that leaves us with some aftermath that shapes us as people. But 
if that has kind of held people back or interfered with their functioning in their adult lives you know there's a lot that can be done to address those things and help them move forward in a positive way great so i'm really interested in the NZR. What, what does that stand for it's eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy which is a horrible mouthful which is why mm. we shorten it to the acronym it was developed by a psychologist in the states called francine shapiro it was a sort of accidental finding about how she managed to address something traumatic in her own life whilst taking a walk through the park when she was moving her eyes from side to side and she was ended up feeling much better and she investigated this and developed a therapy from it i mean it sounds you know it's one of those fortuitous kind of wow. events from which something has you know emerged really usefully how does it work then well there are various theories about that i tend to be fairly skeptical about them i think there's still a lot we don't understand but there's something about the stimulus of using your eyes whilst you're going through a memory in your mind that takes up some of your attention or your working memory which allows the brain somehow to process the difficult trauma because of course what happens when people remember very traumatic things is their amygdala gets activated and they re-experience the, all the stress hormones and the difficult feelings they had when they were going through the experience. So trauma memories are laid down slightly differently and the amygdala gets activated. So somehow, and that of course happens when people go through it, so often they avoid it. And the, these things are, you know, the re-experiencing symptoms and the avoidance are, you know, markers of PTSD. But if you can get them to a place where they can think about the memory, whilst this other stimulus is going on that it allows the brain to process it very adaptively it, it, it's a similar mechanism that so the one that's used with trauma focused cbt and other types of trauma therapy they, they have this in common this reprocessing uh, element but with the added ingredient for emdr is this alternative stimulus which does in my experience you know allow things to be processed more swiftly and in a slightly different way and for people to find they can you know the, the the distress diminishes in a session and they are able to kind of get a very new perspective on what happened to them you know i survived or um yeah you know i'm not a bad person it was somebody else's fault you know what happened so does it have to be eye movements or could it be any any it can be other kinds yeah it can be other kinds of stimuli so it can be um uh, buzzers in the hand it can be taps the therapist can tap the person's knees on either side. You can have clicks in your ear. Sometimes wow. we use more than one method, particularly when the you know trauma, the activation of the distress in a session is very, very marked. Right. So yeah. it's really helping people to process the trauma in a way in which they're not going to completely be reliving it all the time. They can yeah. store it away and remember it in a, in a non-traumatic fashion. That's right. It becomes part of their autobiographical memory. And the, um, yeah, so the memory becomes part of the autobiographical memory. They can memory it without distress. And you can often tell that this has been affected because they'll come back and they'll say the next time you see them, you know, I haven't thought about it. Or if I thought about it, I haven't had a, you know, a really panicky sensation or, and I haven't avoided thinking about it. I've been able to think about it or I haven't had any more nightmares, you know, that kind of thing. It's really very clinically very convincing you know for a therapist to hear that something has really changed yeah that, that's amazing isn't it? i remember when, when we met for coffee you were saying to me 
it, it's really changed your practice from what you were doing, say, 15, 20 years ago. It's a really different technique and you're getting really good results with it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So often, you know, I'd be used in my practice before EMDR to be treating an anxiety disorder using the CBT kind of models and methods. Um, and they work and they're effective. But in this way, you, you can find as, you know, significant moments that led to the anxiety disorder. And then you can treat those using the EMDR. So it, it's like we can still do the CBT. I, I would say I combine the approaches. Yeah, wow, yeah, that's fascinating. And have you sort of dealt with any, any doctors or healthcare professionals who have experienced trauma from their jobs at all? Do you know, I don't think I have, actually. Mm-hmm. I think I have treated one or two doctors with OCD. Can experience, you know, when they're doing clinical interventions, taking bloods or something like that, they can have very high levels of stress. And then we can do some EMDR with that. So if you like, that's, yeah, it's a form of that, but it's through a, an, a specific a anxiety way. disorder, I'd say. Yeah. I think I'm probably not linked into the kind of referral sources that might send people mm-hmm. who've been through, you know, a huge event you know at work i've obviously treated people who have experienced medical trauma hospital trauma you know the blanket term you know yeah 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 so i know that you often see professionals who are in high stress jobs who are dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety what sort of pathway do they have to go through to try and sort of get better Oh gosh, that's a big question. Well, I think one thing for those kinds of professionals is kind of admitting they have a problem and that they need some help. That's a huge, big step. Okay. And often they've had to take that on their own. <laughs> but they might have been, you know, had a, you know, finally had a chat to a colleague or a, a senior colleague who, and said, actually, I'm really struggling here. And they've made a recommendation. They might have gone through, for example, locally, they might have gone through the there's a service i think the medical school possibly i'm not sure whether that's for the hospital doctors but certainly for the medical students where they get a you know an assessment perhaps with a psychiatrist who's employed there and they'll make a recommendation yeah they can get direct access yeah Yeah. so as a practicing psychologist what advice would you have for people who are experiencing sort of quite high levels of stress on a on a day-to-day basis in terms of protecting themselves and dealing with it more holistically or dealing with dealing with it more healthily i guess yeah i think there's something about accepting that they're only human you know there are huge numbers of pressures we put on ourselves about and i certainly did this earlier in my career you know if i'm going to treat people for difficulties and i need to be dealing with my own well somehow mm-hmm. whatever that means yeah. and actually it's much more about recognizing that life happens and we're only human and we have to kind of find our way through that by being kind to ourselves really by accepting it and saying yeah you know this is my limit i'm not superman i'm not superhuman i think the medical profession is can be quite bad at that recently read an amazing memoir i can't remember if i told you about it when we spoke before by a psychiatrist called joanna cannon it's called breaking and mending and she went into medicine late after her own adverse and somewhat deprived childhood i think she doesn't say too much about that in the book but she certainly went into it late and without having finished her school education so she had to do an access course and so on she managed to find someone to give her a place at a medical school and you know she writes very candidly about how that impacted on her as a person and what was expected of her and how 
junior doctors, for example, newly qualified doctors are treated really badly. I'm not sure if it's still the case. You was obviously talking about 15, 20 years ago, but I'm sure it is in, in places where, you know, you're, there's very little sympathy for the human impact of what you're doing. So that I think is where people can be kinder to themselves and it, you know, not so much expect less because we, you know, we need to have high standards for healthcare, yeah. but you know, when it doesn't work out, you know, you're only human. I'm obviously mm. not talking about, you know, I don't know, medical accidents and things which have to be investigated and addressed and we have to learn from them as individuals and as, uh, as a group. But, you know, it's that sort of recognising that, you know, we all have our limitations. Mm. I think there's a whole genre actually of memoirs by doctors and other professionals about what it's like, really like on the inside you know it's kind of yeah. all the mistakes i've ever made kind of thing you know they're just yeah. endemic and we make them all the time yeah there's that one by Hen- henry marsh isn't there the yes. ne- neurosurgeon henry marsh yes i think that's his yeah. name yeah but we still do beat ourselves up when we make mistakes oh. because they can have a significant impact and i mean luckily most of them don't but i still remember you know yeah. times when luckily a pharmacist has picked up an error that i've made and and, and it didn't go out and i think all of us can go off there but for the grace of god go i yeah when we do make these mistakes it's one thing to say to us in our, our heads yeah we're only human that's fine we still yeah. feel dreadful what, what can mm-hmm. we do about that yeah, I mean, we, in a way, we can't avoid feeling all of that, especially when we are, you know, really trying to do a very good job. You know, we're not sort of just dismissing it or ignoring it. I, uh, there is something about compassion, I think, that's involved. You know, there is, we have to be, you know, learning to be compassionate to ourselves. Mm. There's a whole load of work that's been done on the compassionate mind theory by a psychologist, Paul Gilbert, which is based on a neuroscientific theory and and obviously research what we know about how the brain works kind of thing but that often our sort of nurturing side of us is underused and underestimated and we obviously we we have it because we need to bring up our children because you know they don't grow to maturity inside us because we have these big complicated brains and all the rest of it so they need lots of nurturing and care so we've developed all the side of that and all the hormones and all the brain systems that go with that but often we don't apply that to ourselves what we apply is our drive you know to get things done to feed the family to um, do a good job and so we can beat that you know beat ourselves up and we can activate our own threat systems by saying it's not good enough you'll never be any good and and things like that but I was actually okay just you know mistakes don't mean we'll never be any good for example or whatever and there are ways of developing self-compassion which are you know hard to do for mm-hmm. professional people it's like no I must do more I must get on I want to you know I've got goals I've got ambitions um, but actually we also need to be kind to ourselves yeah. so what what are some of those ways of developing self-compassion what do you recommend to your clients well I mean, one way that's very sort of specific is mindfulness, actually. Um, and it's not everybody's thing. And sometimes, you know, we have to just kind of you know, dip our toe in, even if we're a bit sceptical about it. Because it's about just being able to be with yourself. And, and actually, if you do develop a little bit of facility with it, then you can find it really, what's the right word? It's a real, a real way of supporting yourself. There's a lovely guy called John Kabat-Zinn who writes, who was one of the guys who started the mindfulness for health kind of movement, physical health. And it's been developed for mental health as well since then. But 
So he talks about of when you, if you listen to one of his guided meditations, you know, thank yourself for giving yourself this time to look after yourself. So, you know, when I practice mindfulness, which isn't very often because I'm not very good, you know, kind of at being regular about the practice, it's, you know, you can feel like you've done something really worthwhile, even though all you've done is sit on a chair for 10 minutes. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So these mindful practices, particularly ones where you're sort of thanking yourself and expressing uh -huh. kindness yourself are helpful. Yeah. Is there anything else that you could suggest? No, I'm not a compassion therapist. OK, so I've only dipped into it and drawn on it. So there are some more specific ways that those people who practice that as a kind of main way of working. But certainly, you know, the traditional CBT ways of looking at what is the content of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. What are you saying to yourself and saying, well, you know, thinking about what that means and what are, you know, other ways of thinking about yourself. So, I mean, one classic way of doing this is to say, well, what would you say, say to somebody else who's yes. having the same problem? Oh, well, I'd say they need a break or, you know they yeah. need to you know do something nice for themselves because they've had a hard time or whatever but we don't do that for ourselves we're harsher on ourselves by and large so you know think that shift in perspective that we go for in cbt is really yeah. useful in terms of activating that the kindness to yourself if you'd say to a friend bad luck and you know take it easy or you need a break or or whatever then why do we not say that to ourselves and, that, that's we can, a, and we can learn to do it as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah i was just gonna say that's a really good coaching question that i use quite a lot of Is the it? time as well yeah What's so that? you know what advice would you give yourself yeah. uh -huh. <laughs> or sorry yeah. not yourself or what advice would you give someone else i get it You'll push for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz yes yeah. yeah and it really unlocks things people go oh well yeah. i'd say this and that and don't be daft and you're only human and that's so, like right yeah. and they go oh and that's the real aha moment for people all mm. the time mm. yeah why am i treating myself like that it's just it's just crazy yeah. we are our own worst enemies a lot of the time aren't we yeah and the people who who go on from that to say yes but i don't deserve it and you know i'm not like everybody else you know i'm a bad person you know those are the ones with the more severe kind of okay. difficulties who might need some more more work and psychotherapeutic work on that if you like um, okay okay so if you're really finding it difficult to say that to yourself yeah. maybe then get go and access some some more help yeah mm, interesting mm. So Ruth, I know that you're really interested in creative writing and how that can help with well-being and help with managing stress and stuff. Can you just tell me a bit about that? Well, I can, if I tell you how I sort of came to do I, I suppose I've always been interested in it since a child and, you know, writing English compositions as we used to in my day and in, always enjoyed that. So I have a couple of times thought about, um, tried out, you know, writing for myself. So when I left the NHS a few years ago, I treated myself to some creative writing courses and I found it, you know, much more 
life affirming and enhancing for myself than I expected. So and there are a number of aspects to it, but just get being off the hook of having to justify everything I do to commissioners or to colleagues or to you know the powers that be in the NHS about you know we're we doing this because there's an evidence base for it and this is it you know here here's the reference and you know this is the rationale for what we're doing this that's why this is good practice and so on I could just say oh I don't have to do any of that what a relief I can just make up a story and say whatever mm. I like however ridiculous or or whatever and I found that enormously liberating and enjoyable and you know you and getting the feedback on it from other people about what they make and getting positive feedback obviously not universally and exclusively positive because i had lots to learn about how to write well and still do <laughs> but there's a sort of side of it which is about the impact of the writing so somebody is directly in a in a small group of people writing about something and you know talking about their own experience for example or a, a version of their own experience that's fictional then you know the impact that can have on people because they're hearing it directly for you it's not like the same as writing a book reading a book yeah so the feedback is enormously part of that you don't have to be a good writer if you like to have an impact on people in a creative writing group it has its own kind of life I think so that's yeah two parts of it really expressing yourself in the writing and then you know interacting with other people about what what they've made of that and what how it speaks to them I mean, it's another step again to then write it for pu- well for publication, you know. Um, and I'm sort of hearing that actually almost just doing something for the sake of doing it rather than to achieve a goal or to yes. cure yes. someone or to that actually mm. quite therapeutic for you. Yeah. yeah, it's a kind of, it's a form of play, you mm. know, it's taking you back to, oh, hey, let's do something fun, you know, let's throw a ball around, let's throw some words around, let's, you know, and I think it's similar if you think about things like art therapy or drama therapy, these are the other sort of creative arts, if you like, that can be used therapeutically. So uh, as, as following on from my creative writing courses, I ha- have recently taken a post-PG cert um, up at the Institute of Continuing Education at the University in Cambridge on teaching creative writing which I didn't think I really wanted to do, but until I found out that there is a therapeutic element to that. And I thought, yes, I want to do that. So being able to give people the opportunity to express themselves and using kind of prompts and poems and objects that might mean something to them and just, you know, photographs, for example, or something that might remind them of something in their past and helping them to just, just do a little bit of writing about it in a, in a class, share it with one another and then, you know, that might lead to something else or it might just be useful for its own sake. And my experience of running a couple of courses in that have, you know, has borne that out really that, you know, people really do find it liberating in the way that I do. Yeah. Did you learn anything on that course that you did to teach well, it that really surprised you? Well, I mean, one of the things that I used the opportunity to, because it was an academic course, of course, was to look at how we use writing in psychological therapies in various mm-hmm. ways. And that I found really helpful. So sort of it's the kind of link for me between, you know, my day job, if you like, the writing bit. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I, there's quite a few ways that we can use it. I mean, one of them is the expressive writing um, method, which is from a guy called James Pennebaker in the States, who's done, you know, has a very small effect size from a lot of studies, but it's very consistent that if we do write 
and express our feelings on paper, even if we don't even read it again, it has measurable health benefits for people. Right. So you can, you know, it's that, you know, that's really useful to know. <laughs> and so maybe even just suggest to me, what have you thought about writing about this? And, you know, whether that be, you know, an experience of illness, if you're a health professional, or whether that be, you know, a, a job challenge or, you know, something from your childhood, whatever. It can make a difference. It can make a, a measurable difference. That is interesting because, you know, in, in medicine, we're told to reflect all the time on everything, you know. Yeah. You do something, you've got to reflect, you've got to submit for, you know, when you're training, you've got to submit portfolio reflections all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a tutor for the PG Cert in medical education at Maddingley oh, Hall at, yes. for Cambridge University. A large element of the assessments and the essays is reflecting on what they did, which is incredibly powerful and incredibly useful. And I think sometimes we can get a bit bored of reflecting or get a bit jaded, but I've got to reflect again. <laughs> but in my experience, I remember, you know, a couple of times when the day has gone really badly and I'm really worried about something. Sometimes just writing it down has yeah. got it out of my system and mm -hmm. it's enabled me to solve the problem and, and just feel a lot better about it yeah as well yeah. so there's evidence behind that there's there? evidence behind that and there must be although i'm not sure that anyone's thrown any light on it but i obviously you know have my limitations in terms of academic background but the between you know putting it in words to another person in a therapy mm -hmm. session and putting it on paper there has to be something about the act of articulating your problem which allows it to you to get a new perspective it's like when people say in therapy you know i didn't know i thought that until i yeah. said it out loud to you you know i'm sure that happens in coaching as well mm. i know it does sometimes as a therapist or a coach you don't have to do anything do you other than let them talk because they find their own solutions or they find their own new perspective whatever that is um, yeah yeah the other thing about doing that kind of writing that i've found and maybe this is because i have pursued the creative writing not just the expressive writing is that the material you produce in those moments can become something, a piece of creative work that you can use in some way if you want to write poetry or a story mm. or a memoir, you know. And, and stories are the way that we relate to one another. You know, people come to doctors and tell the story of why they've yeah. come, you know, and, or, or, and they come to therapists to do the same thing. But, but actually, you know, it is stories if we if we take them outside of the consulting room, can be very influential, yeah. potentially. You think about all those research studies on the effects of this, that, and the other interventions. Yeah. You know, what does it feel like? What did, how did someone experience that? And we can fill in the gaps, if you like, between, you know, in, that are in the tables of results about what it was really like to I don't know, have CBT or do EMDR or, you know, and I often use those things when I'm talking to clients and send them examples of people who've written about their experiences or, you know, talked about it on YouTube or something. That I think, you know, when we express things in a, in a different way, say through a poem or as a story, it can just help describe things that we find it really hard to actually put into words. I think that's why we like metaphors and we like parables yeah. so much and, and poems and yeah. quotes. I, I love certain quotes which seem to describe far better anything mm. that I could just say in a paragraph of, of speech. Yeah. So I guess it's a way, it's a good way of getting the abstracts 
in there on on paper as it yeah. were no, that's true yeah. there. i think there's also a lovely genre that i came across by doing this course you know which i'm sure many novels and stories are in the, of this ilk but there's autobiographical fiction so that you draw on your own experience you mm. use aspects of it but you don't you know if you wrote your memoir my memoir wouldn't be that exciting really you know but if I use my experience to tell a, a different story or a version of my story with more, you know, drama and plot <laughs> in it, then, you know, it, it has potential to, you know, be greater than itself. So what advice would you give people who were sort of interested in doing some of this stuff? I mean, I guess, not, you know, not everyone's going to go out and do a master's or, a, yeah. or can yeah. go on retreats or whatever, but there are some small things that one can do in the consulting room or in your lunch break or at weekends to just start to do a bit of this well one obvious one that we've mentioned is it you know giving yourself time to do a bit of writing about mm -hmm. what's going on for you you know the penna baker method is 10 minutes a day for okay. four days <laughs> but okay. that, i think that's partly because that was how they designed their studies but that's all that they, they've got people to write for 10 minutes a day for four days. And then they, from that, they've met, looked at you know, the impact that's had across various measures of outcomes, including you know, how often have you been to your doctor if they're in a sort of patient group or whatever. And they demonstrated good outcomes. Demonstrated from good that. outcomes. From right. That. Yeah. So expressive writing is very worthwhile. Again, it's a discipline, a bit like mindfulness. I was talking mm. about, you know, there are times when I do it, but they tend to be the times when I'm particularly, you know, upset or worried or or something yeah so that's one way i mean another way is to enroll on a some sort of creative writing class then you know depending on one's income then they're a relatively small investment and you know interesting things can come out of it and what about sort of other methods of creativity i know recently i've done a pottery course oh, which yeah. i absolutely loved yeah. i was absolutely <laughs> terrible as anyone who's seen my pots will know but i i really enjoyed it I, for me it was a really great way of getting into flow you know you don't think about anything else and being a bit i i've always thought that i'm not very creative but i think i think everyone is creative but you absolutely find the right way of doing it i think that's absolutely that's a very key that everyone has this capacity to play and be creative you know that's different from everybody can be you know a novelist or a potter or or whatever but you can do it nevertheless and have the benefits of of doing it yeah so there's a whole area which i haven't really dipped into very much which is broader than creative writing for therapeutic benefit or creative writing for well-being which is arts for health so you know across these other genres that arts you know create painting and drawing and pottery and all that and drama as well and this is a movement if you like that's happening at the moment and developing a pace there's a lot of people kind of involved in that at the moment they're doing all there's all sorts of projects going yeah. on yeah. everywhere i can imagine because uh, you know learning and playing is one of the ways to well-being and that's because yeah. it gets you into flow and i guess there's nothing yeah. like yeah. getting into flow like doing creative stuff is there it's quite yeah. hard to really worry at the same time yes. presumably yeah yeah there's a lovely sort of state of mind which quite a few people have written about including the psychoanalyst so i'm not psychoanalytic in orientation in my way of working nowadays i was at one stage and there the, the idea about free association and things like that you know it, it, i think it taps into a similar thing there's this idea psychotherapy there's an idea about reverie as well when you sort of have your minds at rest you just kind of 
you know, may, you know, maybe a daydream will come out of that. And then from that, something created, particularly in the writing area, I guess also in painting as well, mm-hmm. where you can just kind of let your mind wander wherever it wants to and see what happens. That's mm-hmm. another letting go, isn't it? Of sort of, I must be creative now. It's a sort of, you know, let's just let it happen. Yeah. See what yeah. happens. Maybe nothing yeah. will, maybe something will. It doesn't yeah. matter either way, really. <laughs> yeah, I always think of my best ideas, yeah, when I'm on my bike <laughs> when i don't have pen and paper in front of me so when when i'm sitting there going right gotta think 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 it never seems to come but it's at other times isn't it yeah giving yourself those moments that's great so are you running any courses at the moment ruth or well i have the answer is no i've got a workshop that i'm doing with someone who is in works in the area of arts for health locally in january later this month and I, you know, I have in mind that I might, I could develop it as part of my practice. So I'd be very interested if anybody would like to do that with me. I mean, I have a, you know, a six week course kind of prepared. I guess mm. I need to promote it and, you know, find a way of is finding people who want to do it is yeah. the next step, you know, how yeah. do you draw people in? I can imagine it could be useful to, for professionals or it could be useful like doctors and, you know, mm-hmm. other people working in health or yeah, anybody perhaps who's been through a therapy and is okay, but kind of is interested to reflect on that as well those kind of groups of people i'm thinking of so i have to find a way to promote that and yeah well i'll get if anyone's listening to the podcast is interested get them to email you perhaps and find out more about what what you could do with them so if people wanted to get in touch with you how can they do that they can contact me by email that's probably easier so it's ruth.coxurge at icloud.com okay brilliant and we'll put the links of everything else that you've talked about in the show notes as well. Okay. Before we sort of finish up, do you have any, you know, anything that you've noticed over your years working with professionals in high stress jobs, any sort of top tips you've got for them, any things that seem to have worked really well for people? Oh gosh, that's another one of your big mm-hmm. questions. Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I like asking the big question. <laughs> Boiling it down to small things. Yes. No, no, I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's things like being kind to yourself, recognizing you're only human, and you're not a robot, you know, that you have a body which is, you know, full of emotions and hormones and things that fly around that affect you. And, you know, being kind to yourself about those, sort of your own emotional ups and downs and being interested in them as well, sort of mm-hmm. accepting them, letting mm-hmm. them be, noticing them rather than treating them as a threat the, i suppose the other thing is getting support so you know talking to colleagues friends family about how it's all going and having that support being open about what's bothering you yeah that's great so be kind to yourself be compassionate to yourself understand yourself as a human being with all our idiosyncrasies foibles. and foibles and and treat yourself like you treat your best friend uh, that's a good way of summarising it. Yeah. I think so. I yeah. think so. If we could all do that, yeah. I think we'd be a lot healthier, wouldn't we? Yeah. yeah. Great. Okay. Well, Ruth, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really great to hear from you. Um, do get in touch with Ruth if you'd like to find out anything more. We'll put the links in the show notes below and we will see you, everybody for the next episode. Thank you. Okay. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now.